We open up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you so much for the time we get to gather together here tonight, Lord. I just pray that you will, God, speak through your word to us today. Just help us to uh, to see and hear clearly exactly what you're saying to us and what you want us to do, God. We just pray for uh, those who can't be here for illness or any other reason, God. We just pray that you be with them, God. Be with Michelle as she's recovering, God. We just pray your hand upon her as well. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so today, I'm sure you probably all remember what we talked about last time, like a month ago. Um, so we're going to go till about 11.30 tonight to catch up. So it's going to be great. Uh, good times. Good times. Um, so we're, it was, if there was ever a time to take a break, that was a good time. Because now we're going to jump into it for real, and we're going to get into uh, Acts chapter 17. is where we're going to go today. I'll give you a minute to get there. Um, if you've got your Bible, your phone, your whatever, Bible's in front of you, what I'm going to do is read the passage, and then we're going to go back and pick through it and just really dig into some different uh, pieces of it so we can kind of walk through Paul and his trip to Athens. 16, or sorry, 17. Acts chapter 17. I'll give you just a brief uh, synopsis of what's going on at this point. So Paul finds himself in Athens. Now, this was not part of the plan. It was not, he didn't plan to go to Athens. It wasn't on his itinerary. He went to Thessalonica, a big city of Thessalonica. He went there to preach. They didn't exactly like what he had to say. They pretty much ran him out of town. So um, he left. He was with Timothy and Silas. He left Thessalonica, went to Berea. In Berea, they listened to what he had to say. They studied things out. They checked it out. Um, they accepted him, and they wanted to learn more. Now, in the meantime, the people in Thessalonica found out that he was in Berea. So they took off to Berea to go get him. And there's a whole backstory there. They actually arrested the people that he was staying with. There was a whole thing. Um, they really wanted to get him. So in the meantime, the Christians in Berea said, Paul, you got to get out of here. So jumped in a boat with them. They took off. Basically dumped him in Athens, said, okay, here, this is where you're going to go. And he says, okay, go tell Silas and Timothy that I'm in Athens. Tell them to come meet me. So when we start out, this wasn't the plan. Okay, This wasn't Paul saying, I have a message for Athens. I'm going to stroll over there and tell them what I have to say. This is him finding himself in Athens, not really the plan, but he's going to make the most of his time there. So we're going to start Acts chapter 17, verse 16. And we're going to read it. Uh, through 34, and then, like I said, we'll go back and we'll kind of take it in chunks. So Acts chapter 17, verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him, and he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive in every way you are very religious, for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by men, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, 
And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet is actually he is actually not far from each of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man who he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection, resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed. Now there's a lot in there. So we're going to take it piece by piece. And I want to point out some of the things uh, that Paul is doing here and some of the things we can apply that, ways we can apply that to our own life. So like I said, he is waiting in Athens for Silas and Timothy to come. They're going to meet up again, and then they're going to take off, and they're going to keep preaching the gospel all around. They're preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So uh, if you notice, it says that he went to the synagogues, and he talked to the Jews first. Because he's talking to the Jews, they're not Christians, they're Jews. They don't know or believe that Jesus was the Christ. So he's in there speaking to them. But it also says he went into the marketplace. So I want to point out that, first of all, where Paul was at, he wasn't planning on being in Athens, but he didn't just hang out there. He didn't take off. I think my first reaction would be, get the heck out of here. Like, just get me away from everybody so nobody knows where I am. He saw an opportunity, and he jumped on it. So what he did was, it says the spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. Well, in the very beginning, it says he was going to the synagogue and to the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. So he was out among the people, the marketplace. This is where we'd say, uh, you know, when people say, oh, you know, minister to your marketplace. This is your job. This is your whatever. So he's going around town. He's hanging out downtown. He's hanging out by the market. He's hanging out uh, where people are working. People are doing business. People are doing their shopping. He's hanging around there. He's looking for opportunities to talk to people about Jesus. This is not just hanging out in the hotel room waiting for Silas and Timothy. This is getting out there among the people to see if there's an opportunity where somebody will hear him and listen. It says his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. So as he's walking around, he's seeing all of these idols throughout the city. And he doesn't just walk through the city and say, oh, there's all this stuff going on, you know, there's all this stuff, there's these buildings, there's just whatever, you know, yada, 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 how do I find the church, where do I go? He's looking around and seeing his whole surrounding. Have you ever realized at some point that you've completely become oblivious to the things that are going on right around you? There's stuff happening right in front of your face, and you just don't even notice. Uh, we did this, uh, my church in Clinton, we, what we did one time is we put in the bulletin, there was an envelope. Everybody had to get a bulletin. 
in each envelope, there was either a $5 bill or a $10 bill. And the point was, take that 5 or $10 and go out and do something for somebody else. Whether it's paying for somebody behind you in line at the drive-thru or buying somebody coffee or giving it to somebody who needs it, whatever, just finding some way to give that away in the name of Jesus. Okay, so that Sunday morning, I had a lot going on. I had, to, I don't remember, I had something in the afternoon, but I remember I had a very short amount of time to go to lunch. I had a nursing home or something that afternoon. So I had like 45 minutes. So I'm like beeline, I'm going to go to Subway. Okay, I hit Subway and I get, there's like two people there. Great, I'll get in and out of here fast. I think it was the first time these two people have ever had a sandwich. Ever. They literally made such a big deal about their sandwich. Like they stood there forever. Oh my gosh, that's lots of bread. Let's see, what kind do I want? What kind of bread are you going to have? Have you tried this bread? What? What? And then we go to the next one. What kind of sandwich are you going to have? Oh my, there's a lot of choices here. Oh, you know what would be good? This would be great. And Oh, if you have lettuce. I don't want that if you don't have lettuce. Yeah, we got lettuce at Subway. So then they go through, and they're going every, and they just constantly going, oh, this can be so good. Oh, I'm so looking forward to this. Oh, this can be so good. And I'm sitting there going, get out of my way. I have to go tell people about Jesus. I'm going to need you to move. You know, hurry up. And they get to the end, and the lady says, and it was $5 footlongs, okay? This is time frame it was. It was $10 and something cents, and the guy goes, oh, I don't have any money. And I'm going, you don't have any money? Then why did you go to the store to get a sandwich if you don't have any money? And they sat there, and the lady's like, I was so looking forward to the sandwich. And I'm like, move it along. So then they leave. She puts the sandwiches behind the counter, and they leave. And I get my sandwich, and I go to the end, and I open my wallet to look in the thing, and there's a $10 bill folded in the back that I got in my bulletin that I was supposed to buy somebody something or give it to somebody, and their bill was $10, and I had a $10 bill, and they were gone because I was so preoccupied about what I was trying to get to do that I didn't notice what was happening right in front of my face. And quite honestly, they couldn't have made it more obvious because they talked about those sandwiches like it was the end of the world. And I left there, and I'm going, oh, man, how could I miss something so obvious right in front of my face? Now, would I have had an opportunity to lead him to Christ? Maybe. I don't know. Was it just an opportunity God put there to say, listen, this is why you got to start paying attention? I don't know. But I'll tell you what, I started paying attention from then on. And the next time I saw somebody, I saw somebody on the side of the road with a flat tire uh, a couple days later, I'm like, I got to deal with this. So I'm like, we're going to push it back to the church. We've got an air compressor. We're going to pump it up. I'm going to give you this $10 so you can go down and get a uh, patch in this tire. And if you, if it runs out of air on the way, you let me know, you call my number. Like, I was like, I'm going to do this this time. So I was not going to miss another opportunity. But this is something that, quite honestly, Paul had a lot on his mind. He had a lot of things going on. He had people that were trying to kill him. He was trying to get reunited with his friends. He was in an unknown city, and yet he looked around and he saw what was going on because there was a bigger purpose for him to be there than what was on his mind at the time. The other thing he did was he used his surroundings. He saw that they had these idols. And he used that to speak to people. 
And it wasn't just that he noticed it once. It says he was in the marketplace every day. So he was down there every single day trying to get to know people, talk to people, build relationship, build trust to where he could speak and they would listen. He did it on their turf. He didn't go in and say, come back to my place and I'll tell you about this. He didn't say, come to church with me and somebody will tell you about this. He went on their turf to where they were comfortable. And in fact, as he was speaking, they then invited him to come and speak to the crowd because they were in their comfort zone. He was the one outside. This is something that I used to get in trouble a lot for because the Karens of the church, as it were, um, if you know what that represents, the church ladies that have a little too much time on their hands. Um, I got that once in Fort Dodge. I came to church on Sunday morning, and this little Karen comes over to me, and she says, what was your truck doing outside the tattoo parlor last night at midnight? And I said, excuse me? She goes, I saw your truck midnight, last night, Saturday night, down at the tattoo parlor. And now, to be fair, it was not the kind of tattoo parlor where you're going to go get a dolphin on your foot. It was a pretty rough crowd place. Okay? It was a rough crowd place. Bikers and people with like spiked collar things. and yeah. But, as I explained to her very kindly, and not at all with a bad spirit. Friday, I was sitting in my office at the church, and a young guy walked in, early 20s, and he was just kind of pacing around. And I'm like, can I help you? And he goes, yeah, I just have some questions. I'm like, okay, great. And I'm standing kind of out in the open area, not in my office, and I'm like, this guy is never going to, like, he is totally uncomfortable. This is not He's not going to come sit in my office. We're going to have a nice little chat. And he started talking to me, and he said, you know, I grew up in a Christian home. My mom said she was a Christian, but she used to beat me, and all this stuff was going on. I've turned my back on God. I don't believe in it, but now I've got a little girl, and I kind of feel like she should go to church. And he's like, now I don't know what to do, so I think I'll go back to the beginning, like the Catholic church. And I'm like, oh, we got to talk, because that's not the beginning. Um, but the whole time, he was just fidgety, and he was walking around, and he was pacing, and I just said, you know what? Is there a place you're more comfortable that we could talk later. And he said, well, I work at this tattoo parlor downtown. I'm like, hey, when are you working? He says, Saturday night at midnight. So I said, you know what? I'll be there Saturday night at midnight. So I walked in there at Saturday night at midnight, and I looked way out of place. Let me just tell you right now. And we started talking, and there was probably 15 people sitting in there just talking, whatever, and they all started asking questions. And they're like, oh, you're a preacher? Well, I've always wanted to know this. And what about this? And one of them was very nice to draw me a tattoo that was huge, literally was, in his mind, again, it was this Catholic, like a, a crucifix. What he wanted to do was shave the back of my head and do Jesus' head down his arms on my arms and all like a life-size crucifix, which I said no to. Um, <laughs> but... I was there, and we talked, and I'm telling you, there were so many people that had so many questions, and it was just very easy to talk to them because they were totally comfortable. It was like this moment of, listen, buddy, if you, if you do something wrong, you're in the wrong place. 
We're not. And so we talked, and I was there for quite a while, and I stopped by there three, four more times, and we just talked with, with some of the people and just made it a very uh, personal experience for them, but I was the one out of place. Now, what I wish I would have asked that lady was why she was out on Saturday night at midnight. I didn't ask her that, but I wish I would have asked her that. But I probably was. She did have this crucifix on her bed. Uh, but that instance was, okay, I'm the one that's going to make myself uncomfortable so that I can make somebody else comfortable to hear what God is saying to them. You know, how can I be the one to make the sacrifice so that somebody else can hear? And that's what Paul was doing here. He was down there among the idols. I mean, I got to think, he didn't want to be hanging around a bunch of idols and people worshiping stuff that he knew wasn't right, but that's where he was because that's where the people were that needed to hear it. Do you remember the Wizard of Oz? Okay, when the, the tornado was coming and they all run to the basement of the cellar outside. And Aunt Am stands there and she goes, where's Dorothy? And she stands on the porch and she goes, Dorothy! Dorothy! I can't find Dorothy. And I'm going, well, you didn't try very hard. You haven't even taken us. She's right in the house. I mean, she's right there. Uh, you didn't go very far. And then they go down the cellar and like two seconds later, she's beating on the door trying to get in. And it's like, you didn't try very hard. And unfortunately, I, that's what I see that the Church of America has done is we've become this whole, hey, come on in, come on in. And then we wonder why people aren't coming into the church to get saved. Well, that's not we're, we're not called to go to the church and invite everybody to come on in. It's we're supposed to go into all of the world. In the Wizard of Oz, it would have been very easy for them to find her and save her if they put the effort out. The effort wasn't there. We have to do the effort. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 says, And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. The workers are few. We are the workers, which means we're supposed to be doing the work. We're not supposed to expect everybody else to do the work to come find me so that I can tell them about Jesus. I mean, that's why he's constantly talking about the harvest and, and, uh, and the wheat and that kind of stuff. I mean, maybe I'm missing something, but I've lived in Iowa my whole life. I've never seen corn harvest itself. It doesn't just pop up and, and do it for itself, does it? I mean, that's not the point. You've got to have the workers that go out and get the harvest. So that's... The one thing that, that I think is very important here is to see that Paul went out, and it says he went every day. And he didn't get the opportunity to speak to a ton of people every day. He got that opportunity one time in Athens while he was going out every day. So we can't just stand around and wait for people to come up and ask us about Jesus. It may happen, but more likely than not, you're going to have to do the work. And at the same time, we're supposed to be the ones who are flexible, okay? When it's talking, when we're talking about going into some place to speak to somebody or whatever makes us uncomfortable, 
because when we're trying to actually reach out and save someone, we have to be put ourselves in whatever position it takes to save them. If we're literally talking about saving someone, someone falls in the water and we're literally going to save them, we don't get down and reach and go, you know what, I'm kind of uncomfortable in this stance. I'm, I'm just going to have to sit like this. And, no, we don't care if we're comfortable or not. We dive in there, we get in there however we can to save somebody. We don't care. We wouldn't just sit there and say, you know, what's the most comfortable way for me to do this? You just do it. But that's what we're looking at here is we're looking at people who are going to hell and we are there and we have the answers. So we should be looking at it in the same way saying, how do I jump in there and help them? Paul was on their turf. And they were comfortable enough to ask him for more information. It says, some philosophers heard him teaching something new, and they wanted to know what it was. So they brought him in front of all these people. It says that he went in front of the Areopagus or Aeropolis, or however you say that. However it's said. It's one of those things. It's one of those. And in that, so he was invited to come and speak to a whole crowd of people there. So they brought him in front of these people because they wanted to hear what he was talking about. And what he did was he planted a seed in the marketplace, and then he was asked to expand on it. Sometimes it's best if we know when to stop. We need to know the difference in planting a seed, watering the seed, and reaping the harvest. So what he did was he went to the marketplace every day, and he planted the seed. And he watered the seed. And he watered the seed. And he watered the seed. And eventually they said, why don't you come and speak to all these people? Now, it lays out here exactly what, basically what was said. It's a little bit confusing because it's short. And it may have been this two-minute sermon. But it's also likely that this may have been the outline. Because these things usually went on for like two, three hours. But it also may have been because it says that when, um, when he talked about the resurrection, basically some people threw up their hands and said, you're crazy. So he may have been interrupted in the middle. We're not sure. But the one thing that he did, if you notice, when he got there, he said, I'm looking around and I'm seeing that you must be very religious. I see all these idols. But I see one that says to an unknown God. Now that one that you don't know, I do know. So can I tell you about him? So what he did was he came in and he found some common ground. Just saying, hey, you're very religious. I see that. And you know what? I know about this unknown God that you don't know about. He didn't say, hey, losers, you guys stink and you all worship the wrong gods. He said, listen, I see you're very religious and that you would want to know. If I knew who this God was, you would want to know, right? I do know. So he, he opened the door, but basically he let them welcome him in. He planted the seed, and he let them say, okay, I want more, or you know, back off, come back a little bit later. We've got to know when to stop pushing. He found common ground. He even pulled in the whole, um, as some of your poets have said. So now he's even quoting their people. Okay, so here's some things that we have in common, even like your poet said, this. So now he's pulling it all together to say, hey, we believe the same thing. I just have a little more detail. 
So let me expound on that. The thing is, especially when we're talking to people who are going through a hard time or a change in their life, we have to focus on the need. We have to find out what the person is wanting. If somebody is sitting there struggling with a health issue or something like that, we don't need to go in there and be like, listen, you know, if you come to Christ, you're going to be rich. I mean, that's not, that's not going to work. We, you've got to focus on let's get common ground, let's find the thing where you're at, where are you struggling with, and how can I help address that issue with Jesus? Because the answer is going to be Jesus. But we have to find those things and connect the two. The other thing is he didn't force it. He didn't give a time frame. Okay? He didn't say, here's who Jesus is, so I need you to make a decision right now. Before you leave today, make a decision. Hurry up right now. You know, If you died tonight, where would you be? Make a decision today, today, right now. Hurry up. He didn't pressure anybody into a time frame. He didn't say a sinner's prayer because the thing that I tell everybody this is the biggest decision you're going to make in your entire life is whether or not to surrender your life to Christ. Don't do it irrationally. Know what you're doing. How many people have you known that, that came to a, a service or they talked to somebody and they said a prayer and they think, okay, it's all great, and then the next day they realize their life didn't change for the better in every single way, and now they're like, I guess that didn't work, and now they don't serve God. I wouldn't buy a car on the spot. I take forever with large purchases. Forever. Because I want to make sure I'm making the right decision. So why should making the biggest decision of your life be any different? Plant the seed. You got to water it. The Bible says only God can make it grow. So if we force somebody into making a decision before they're actually ready to, it can actually be more harmful than good. Verse 32 says, some mocked, some wanted more information before they made the decision. They said, well, I'll hear you again on this. Some believed. So first of all, when we look at that, see that even Paul wasn't able to reach everybody. Paul didn't get them all. So we have, but he still tried. So look at these three types of people again. Some mocked, some wanted more information, and some believed. So that should look familiar to uh, where we were. We talked about last time, just briefly, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where it talks about one plants the seed, one waters, and one reaps the harvest. Some mocked, but he planted the seed. Some wanted to hear more, watered the seed. Some believed. He reaped the harvest. Then it says he went out of their midst. He knew when to press and when to let the seed grow. The Bible says we water, we plant, we water, but only God can make it grow. So being on somebody and just annoying them to death is not going to help it grow. We can pray for them. We can, I mean, Absolutely, and we'll, we'll talk about here in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about how to tell your story and how to do that in two minutes and plant that seed and then how to go back and build that relationship and water that seed. 
little by little. And there may be times where people are just totally open to hearing the whole thing and walk through the entire thing, and that's great. And, and when that opportunity comes, absolutely, go there. But a lot of times we overwhelm people with our desire to see we got to close the deal. You know, we got to get to the end. We've got to get rid of the thought that somehow if we don't get somebody to surrender their life to Christ, to say a prayer the first time we talk to them, that we fail. Because that's not a failure. We're not called to close the deal every time in five minutes. If you respond to what the Holy Spirit is pushing, is speaking to your heart to plant the seed, water the seed, reap the harvest when it's there, that's what he's asking you to do. And I know somehow, you know, we sit there and we use the word failure. If we, Well, you know, I talked to so-and-so, but, you know, it didn't work. That's not a failure. And I know growing up, you used to hear all the time, well, that's, you know, that's how you get that jewel in your crown up there, you know, when you, some, you get somebody saved, you get that jewel in your crown. And I go, you know what, my, my reward in heaven is not based on numbers. It's based on obedience. God may call me to plant seeds for my whole life, and I may reap the harvest three times. But if I'm obedient to doing what he wants me to do in that moment, that's what my reward is based off of, is obedience. It's not numbers. There's some people out there got a lot of numbers, so they think. But I just, I can't. I'm not good at that. I don't like to close the deal really fast. Um, we used to do that at, at the church that I was at. It was just it was a habit of the, the pastor at the end of every service. You know, he'd say, if anybody here, you know, wants to give their life to Christ, you know, everybody close your eyes, raise your hand, and I'll pray for you. I did that one time just because that's the way that he did it. But with multiple services, somebody raised their hand. And I'm like, my instinct was I want to go down and talk to you right now. Like, I want to make sure that you understand what I'm talking about, that you don't just think, okay, well, I went to church and I said the person, no, I'm good. Like, I want to talk to you, but with multiple services and a lot of people, there, there was no way. I couldn't get off the platform and get back there in time to talk to them. And I'm like, okay, so I'm going to do this different. So I'm going to say, if you want to make this decision, call me tomorrow. I'm going to be here, okay? I'm going to be the constant. I'm going to be here. Talk to me afterwards. Come and seek me out. Come and find me. Talk to one of our elders. Talk to one of our council members. Talk to somebody. Don't just think that me saying this prayer with you is the end-all be-all and you're good for the next 50 years because that's not the way it works. I'm not one that, that's one reason I don't like to do door-to-door -door ministry because I feel like you're supposed to have to close the deal before you leave the door. And I'm like, mm, that's not, that's not me. I want to present the gospel and I want you to think about it because it's a big, big decision. We aren't called to be smooth talkers. We don't want to coerce someone or make them feel coerced or duped into making a decision that they didn't want to do. I've talked to people before and at a service afterwards, and you know, they, they said a prayer. And afterwards I said, do you, do you know what you did there? And they're like, not really. And the guy just wanted me to say that. I said it, whatever. And I'm like, okay, well, let's, let's get some understanding in there. Then. Let's, let's help you understand what this is about before you make the decision. Not, I don't just want you to make me happy by saying the prayer because that's not going to benefit anybody. So let's get the information to you. Just like Paul, some believe, 
Some mocked him. Some said, I'll hear you again on this. He didn't say, nope, you've got to deal with it right now. You've got to make this decision. You know what? I bet he was out there the next day because it said he was out there every day. One of the most important things, I think, is be yourself. Do not act like somebody else when you're talking about Jesus than you do in your regular life. If you talk to somebody at work, they know who you are, they know how you act, and if you act differently when you talk about Jesus, they're going to see that. They already think that Christians act differently at church than they do everywhere else, and that people are hypocrites or that they're two-faced. There's already enough thinking about that that we don't need to give them any ammunition for that. Um, who I am, talking to you right now, is who I am at work. That's who I am when I talk to people about Jesus. I like to joke around. I like to use illustration. I like to do a lot of that stuff. But I just, I'm real, and I'm not afraid to share stuff that's happened in my own life that I've screwed up, that I've struggled with, things like that, where we can find common ground. And, and we can meet somewhere in the middle there so we can, we can be in on that. Now, one of the things that I will say, um, when you're, you're finding that common ground and when you're being yourself, a lot of times we have a heart for people who struggle with things that God has brought us out of. Okay? If God's brought me out of something, I want to see other people that suffer with that. I want to see them healed. I want to see them come out of that. I want to see them strong. Now, if you're, we have to be smart. Okay? If you struggle with gambling or you've had a gambling problem in the past, don't go to the casino to tell people about Jesus. It's not the place to be. That's not you don't ever want to put yourself in a place where the surrounding or the people you're talking to are going to influence you more than you're going to influence them. You're supposed to be the light in the darkness, the one that's influencing other people. You know, it's one thing to say, "Okay, I've come out of alcoholism, and I want to, I want to speak to those people, and I want to, I want to be there for them." And it, and I'm not saying, "Hey, you know, we're out uh, at Woody's, we're having dinner, and somebody's sitting up there and having a hard time." Absolutely, go talk to them, but don't. Go hang out at the bar five nights a week just looking for somebody to talk to about Jesus because if you struggle with that, that atmosphere is going to start to influence you as it did in the past. Even if God has brought you out of that, there are many, many uh, different Christian organizations that reach people like that that you can work with. There are different ways to do that. There are ways to find that out. Um, I mean, that's just, that's just being smart. I mean, you don't want to put yourself in a bad situation. If you've come out of drug addiction, you don't want to hang around in the places that you were at before trying to reach people for Christ because there's more of them than there is you. And odds are the atmosphere is going to influence you more than you're going to influence them. So, yes, we want to make that common ground. We want to get there and, and connect with those people. But at the same time, I would encourage you, if, if you have a heart for that, pray and ask God to put those situations in your life so that you can make yourself available uh, so that you're not going out and putting yourself in a bad place, you know, uh, to where you're going to get pulled back into something that God's already delivered you from. So there's definitely a smart way to do that. But being yourself and being real with people, there's one guy that uh, years ago, he was a different kind of fella. Um, he was pretty much, he had his church faith, and he lived his life totally different. 
and at church, he would just talk like a normal person. And then if he was asked to pray, he would say, okay, um, our dearest Heavenly Father, thou hast uh, proclaimed amongst us. And like, he went totally King James Version in his prayer, and only in his prayer. And I'm going, wow, that is completely and utterly a two-faced person. Like, you don't even talk the same. Like, when you talk to God, you put on this, new, this King James Version, like, he's only going to listen to you that way, or he's going to listen to you more that way, or you're holier when you talk like that. And I'm just like, listen, buddy, I've seen you around town, so don't even try to talk to me like that. You know, this isn't going to work. But that's what people think that we do. They think we come into church, and we all get in line, and we all, oh, ooh, you know, kumbaya, and that's what we do. And so it's important for us to be ourselves when we're talking to people. And we can have the same interests. We can talk football. We can pull Jesus into the conversation. I mean, if that's something, if Jesus is that important to you and that big a part of your life, it should come out in your conversation. You know, it just happens. Whether you even try to put it out there or not, at some point you'll make a connection there. Uh, you know, there's just no way during football season that I can talk to somebody for more than about 10 minutes without throwing in the Chicago Bears or something because I'm either really mad or really excited and probably really mad um, or disappointed or, you know, whatever. Those things come out when we interact with other people. So it should be the same way. If people at your work hear you talk about your wife or your husband or your kids because that's a big part of your life, they should also hear you talk about Jesus sometimes. Now, that said, you don't have to look for every little instance to slide the name of Jesus in there. Um, I had a friend that he was really good at that, uh, maybe too good at that. Uh, to where it got kind of annoying. To where, I remember one time we were at Walmart and he paid with cash and the lady gave him his change back. He goes, wow, that's a lot of change. She's like, yeah. He goes, not as much change as when I asked Jesus to come into my heart. And I'm like, wow, you really stretched on that one. But he could make any little connection there. And I'm like, wow, okay, that was really bad. But honestly, that was his personality, and that's who he was. So I'm not saying you've got to squeeze it into every conversation, but I think sometimes when we're talking with people and they're struggling with something, we, we tend to avoid the topic. Oh, that's going on. Well, I'm going to avoid the topic because I don't. Because if I start talking, then I'm going to have to tell you about Jesus, and I don't want to do that. But if somebody says, um, I mean, even with the, the issues here with the, with the sewage stuff, I mean, I'm sure everybody that you talked to recommended somebody to fix it. Oh, well, you know, you could probably get so-and-so, or he's got this, and this guy could do that. And, you know, maybe it's this, and maybe it's that drain, and maybe it's the whatever. I mean, that's, that's where people go. If you tell somebody, I'm having trouble, they're like, well, here's the plumber I use. You know, oh, I, I need to get a new doctor. Oh, here's who, here's who the best doctor is here. But then they go, okay, well, I'm struggling with this in my life. And we go, oh, well, that's too bad. It's like, no, you're struggling with this. Well, well here's Jesus. So how do we pull that in? We can't avoid those situations. We're called to be obedient and to tell people about Jesus. He's going to be the one to change their heart. We're not called to change their heart. We can't do that. I mean, we can give a sales pitch, and we can try really hard to convince somebody but if we want it to stick and it matter, we've got to let 
Jesus do the work. I'm going to wrap it up here uh, for this week, but I'm going to give you one one story here because uh, I think this was was a perfect example. Um, we had a pastor's conference. And pastor's conference I was at, they said for the afternoon, they said we were going to give you two hours. It was in Madison, Wisconsin. They said, everybody go down to the University of Wisconsin, down to college town, you know, down here with all the people. We're giving you two hours, and we want you to go tell somebody about Jesus and then come back and tell us how it went. Well, there's some pressure for you. I mean, we've got to save the entire college in two hours. I mean, this is what we've got to do. So um, some of the young guys, at the time I was a, was a discipleship pastor, so some of the young guys in their 20s are like, we're going with you because then you'll do all the work. And I'm like, that's totally not what's going to happen, but come with me. Uh, so we go down and we're seeing people and I'm just like, and they're like, oh, there's a homeless guy over here. And I'm like, look, there's seven pastors lined up. I'm like, too easy. <laughs> there's all these guys lined up to talk to him. Like, listen, they're just going to buy him a sandwich and he's going to listen to tell them that he got saved or whatever. I'm like, okay, they've got that under control. So we're walking around and whatever, and like they're looking at me like I'm going to do something great. And I'm like, it's going to be you guys. Like I'm going to be here to direct it. And we were there for two hours, and, and then we were getting ready to leave, and they were so bummed, and they're sitting there. There's three college guys, 21, 22 maybe, and they're like, man, this just didn't work. We, did, we didn't find anybody. We didn't whatever. And I'm just like, well, you know, some days are like that. We get in the car, and we're going back. And I said, hey, stop. Let's get a cup of coffee. We'll do a drive-through coffee. So we did a drive-through, and I ordered my black coffee. And one of the guys ordered a triple foam goat's milk, something or other. I don't know. So, But it took forever. And the girl comes to the window, and she's like, yeah, this is going to be like a while. And so we're like, oh, that's okay. we got nothing going on. So this other girl comes over, and she sticks her head out the window. And she's like, so you guys just like hanging out? Like we didn't really fit the look. I'm the old guy in college town. And and the guy driving, he's like, well, yeah, we're at a pastor's conference. She goes, oh, you're pastors? And he's like, well, he is, and I am, and he's, you know, whatever. He's in school, and whatever. And we're going through, and, and she starts going, you know what? I've had a couple questions, some things I've always wondered. And so she's talking to the guy in the front. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, this and this and whatever. And he was actually from the area there. So he's like, well, here's, you know, where, where our church is. You know, come check us out sometime. You know, here's, you know, my card. Give me a call if you have any questions, whatever. And then we go to leave, and I'm just sitting there, and I just start smiling. I'm like, yeah, right there. And he's like, what? I'm like, you just did exactly what we were supposed to do, but you didn't do it until you stopped trying to do it. You just lived your life, and you started talking about coffee with somebody at the window, and before you know it, you planted a seed there. And I'm like, that's exactly what we were supposed to do, but now we go back and hear people talk about, get up there and, some of them, I'm telling you right now, they made it up because they were just like, whoa, yeah, I met this person. And I'm like, no, you didn't. Just say that you didn't talk to anybody. It's totally okay. Like, it's fine. Uh, but I'm sitting there going, you guys totally nailed it because you used the moment. And they're like, we didn't do anything abnormal out of, you know, out of our normal life. I'm like, no, exactly. That's why it was so successful is because it was so smooth. It was just part of who you were. It was part of your life. It was exactly what that girl needed at that time. Now, you've planted a seed. Who knows who's coming up or who's in her life that may water that down the road. She may call. She may not. She may come to church. She may not. She may go somewhere else. It might be 10 years before somebody waters that seed and it grows. But you've planted the seed. You started it. So I'm like, you totally, totally nailed it. 
That's where we've got to be at is stop seeing it as this hard, big, giant thing where I've got to rack up all these people. You know, I've got to have all these numbers and I've got to, um, well, I can't stop and talk to you right now because I only have five minutes and it's going to take me at least an hour to get all the way through the Romans Road and get you down, you know, to get down on one knee and so we could do whatever. It's like, yes, take that five minutes. Plant that seed. Don't think that we have to go all the way through because that's not the way the Bible lays it out. Some plant the seed, some water, some reap the harvest. That's exactly where Paul was. He nailed all three of them in one shot. And he didn't go back to say, okay, now who was it wanted to hear more and I got to water that a little more? He didn't close the deal on all of them, but he kept going and he kept saying, okay, God, where's next? Where's next? And he just every day went out in the marketplace. Some days some people listened, some days they didn't. And that's just where we need to be at. It's not some magic Spell, there's nothing that I can say here. Do one, two, three, and four, and it's all going to work out great. It's be available, be yourself, and let the Holy Spirit work through you. Because that's what um, we're going to go into next time is, is that he is, says, I will be with you as you do this thing. While you're doing this, he is right there. He is right there with you. And when you don't have the answers, he does. So, what you get out of today, hopefully, is... Be available. Be yourself. Don't feel like you're a failure if you don't close the deal. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to do three steps. If you can knock them all out in one shot, great. If not, keep in touch with that person. Build that relationship. Water that seed. Only God can make it grow. That's not our job. We water. He makes it grow. Just like planting the corn in the field. You can plant it, you can water it, but you can't make it grow. That's not how it works. God makes it grow. So that's where we're called to be at. Let's close in prayer here. Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you so much for the opportunity that you give us to be a part of your plan to reach the lost. God, I pray that you will help us to see clearly those opportunities that you've put in our life God, when we need to plant a seed, we need to water a seed, and when it's right for the harvest. God, help us to to know that we're not failing as long as we're being obedient and we're following exactly what you laid out for us. God, I just thank you for everybody that's here tonight, everybody that's uh, watching this later or now. God, online, I just pray that you will put those people in our path and help us just to, to see the opportunities when they come. God, make them obvious to us. I just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we'll be back next week, not in four weeks, next week.